encourage you today. Our first session, I was asking the Lord, just uh, really kind of going back and forth on what to, to lead us off with this week. And I want to take you to a familiar place, but in a, in a new way. I want to take you to David's timeless prayer in Psalm 23. It's a timeless prayer. Uh, David's prayer in Psalm 23, it's both a poem and a prayer. And David was so close to God, it should make you envious. His life was so jacked up, and he was still so close to God. In fact, God said, there's a man after my own heart. He didn't put that in his bio. God did. So that should put something in me to say, what is it about David? What did David have? And what you'll see is the, the language of this psalm is so deeply personal. Psalm 23 is both a poem and a prayer. It's, how many of you know it's meant to be more than just comforting in death? It's empowering for life. Like Psalm 23 isn't the thing you just pull out at a funeral and, and, and we're good to go. As powerful and as comforting as that is, Psalm 23 covers every, in these six verses, it covers every facet of your life. Every experience in 2022 that you will struggle with and that you will celebrate is found in Psalm 23. The whole gamut of the human experience is found in these six verses. It's, it's timeless. You know, um, there are some things that you thought were timeless. There are things that I thought were timeless that were clearly not timeless. Like when I was in, in middle school and high school, I had really long hair and had a part down the middle. You know, we thought it was so cool. It was not timeless. <laughs> Uh, there are styles, there, are, there is furniture, there are things that when people use it and set it, they're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing, it's timeless. It was not timeless. Now we look back and we gag at the pictures. We, we're like, what in the world were we thinking? Can I tell you that some things age well and some things don't? Psalm 23 may be the most timeless piece of literature on the planet. Do you know that in recorded human history, this piece of literature, Psalm 23, probably even more than the Lord's Prayer, Psalm 23 is the most recited and memorized piece of literature ever written. There's something timeless that God wanted to preserve in Psalm 23. What is it about these 118 words, these six verses that connect so deeply to humanity and so widely across the centuries in the cultures? We're about, to, we're about to take a closer look. David's timeless prayer. From the jump, we have to get over the fact that God compared us to sheep. Uh, they're very cute. They're very dumb. Very dumb. I can't emphasize how dumb they are. <laughs> David, when David said, I am one of his sheep, I, we are the sheep of his pasture, the sheep of his fold, it was not self-exalting in any way. David, if anyone knew what it was like to be around sheep, he knew what they would do. And so just to kind of comfort us at the beginning of a week of prayer to start your semester, let me show you a quick little video clip that may remind you of sometimes our spiritual walk. I mean, you have got, I mean, the more you know about sheep, the more you have to get over being offended that God refers to us so often as sheep. That is a dumb animal. Very cute, but lacking IQ. 
They pull him out of the trench and he jumps right. I love that. You know, Thanksgiving has turned into like who has the funniest YouTube videos or TikTok videos to show with each other. That was one of the ones they showed me over Thanksgiving and I couldn't stop laughing. The Bible says that Jesus, the good shepherd, will leave the 99 for the one. How many of you know that doesn't seem wise? doesn't seem like a logical, strategic plan, but how many of you know that we need the love and the forgiveness of God most when we deserve it the least? Some of you this week, the Holy Spirit's going to work over your conscience, work on your soul, because there's some decisions you've made over the fall semester, over the break, and, and listen, you've just got to get past it. It's already your past. It's got to come under the blood. You've got to be empowered to, to move on. I love what Bob Goff says, he says, grace doesn't seem very fair until you're the one who needs it. We have a good shepherd. And David's life does not seem fair. He messed things up royally, and yet he walked with God so intimately at a time when people still viewed God from a distance. There was some revelation of God, but David walked at a level of revelation of God that the, his peers and his generation didn't. How many of you know you can go as far into God as you want? You and I are as close to God as we want to be, and David chose to go further than anyone in the nation. In fact, as a leader, your private breakthrough with God becomes a corporate breakthrough. David's private breakthrough became a corporate breakthrough for all of Israel, And just a, a reminder for all of us, Peter tells us, once, you, me, all of us, we were like sheep who wandered away, but now we have returned, say I've returned, to the shepherd, to the guardian of your souls. All right, David's timeless prayer, Psalm 23, verse 1. Why don't you open your Bibles? If you've got a physical Bible, open to Psalm 23. It's great that we have digital this and that, but I just love holding my Bible. I love marketing and marking it up. Psalm 23, Jesus said, the Lord is my shepherd. You know what's so amazing? People don't recognize this, but everyone needs a shepherd. And I would dare to say that everyone has a shepherd. But it's not always the Lord. You can be your own shepherd, Making your plans, calling your shots. You know, there are times as a leader that Jesus has to remind me that he said, no, no, I called you to follow me. Because <laughs> sometimes we're so used to doing things and making decisions and we just want God to follow us and bless it. And come on, Jesus, keep up with me. And listen, you can try to be your own shepherd. An idol can be your shepherd. An addiction can be your shepherd. A romantic relationship can be your shepherd. Anything that influences and leads you is your shepherd. But David said, the Lord is my shepherd. How many of you know it's so much better to be covered by Jesus, your shepherd, than to be controlled by a false shepherd called an idol? David said, the Lord, and I just believe that today, to kick off the week of prayer, this is a fresh invitation for you and I to bring our lives under the shepherding care of Jesus. That area of your life that still needs to be brought under his lordship. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. You know, I think that David writes so personally that actually, I just recently, Dr. Rutland was the one uh, that, that shared this with me. I was in Israel and I got to meet a guy named uh, David Nekrutman who was the very first orthodox rabbi to graduate from Oral Roberts University with a master's degree in pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit. Orthodox rabbi, 
graduating from ORU with a master's in the Holy Spirit. Very interesting guy. We had some cool conversations. But what fascinated me is he said, Jewish culture is not super comfortable with Psalm 23 because it's so personal. They said, we're, we're actually more comfortable with the Lord's Prayer. And I said, well, he was Jewish, talking to a Jewish audience. But, but the Lord's Prayer says, give us our daily bread and our Father. Everything is corporate. Everything is the nation. Everything is us. But David in Psalm 23 is so, you can't get away from how personal his language is. So while the Christian church loves to use this at weddings and funerals, and the, the, the Jewish community are like, we don't quite know what to do with how close David was to God. How many of you, that just makes you want to have a relationship like that. You're like, I want to know Jesus. Like, I need to remind my soul that I have a shepherd. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm sure that Jesse, the father of David, talked to him about Yahweh, talk to him about Jehovah, talk to him about the Lord God. But there are things about God that can't be explained, they must be revealed. And I'm just playing, I'm, I'm praying that a spirit of wisdom and revelation would come over us this week. That while we talk about some things, we teach about some things, we pray about some things, that there would be revelation. The Bible says to taste and see that the Lord is good. How many of you want to taste and see? You're like, I don't want to just accept and believe. I want to taste. I want to see. I want to be encountered. I want to experience the goodness of God. Draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. The word is Jehovah-Rohi meaning shepherd, the God who sees me, the God who sees me. It's interesting, as we go through Psalm 23, you're going to see like eight names of God come out, these attributes of who God is to David. Jehovah-Rohi, I just want to remind you, you are seen and you are known. David said, I serve the shepherd who sees me. He knows me. You're not just seen by big brother, big government, track. you, you are tracked by big God, <laughs> How many are thankful that God sees you? And no, David said, I am known by God. I am seen by God. I am shepherded by the one true God. Me, my life, so personal. The Lord is your shepherd. And then he goes on to say this. He says, I shall not want. That's a pretty bold thing to say. The Lord is not just your shepherd. He's your provider. It's Jehovah Jireh. We sing the song Jireh, right? Jireh. We love that. God, he's my provider. You know what's amazing about the provision of God? Well, I will say this. A poverty mindset, the opposite of knowing that God is our provider, can do some crazy things. And I'll just talk about my upbringing. I don't know if you, if you even have grandparents that are old enough to do this kind of thing, but I had some grandparents, maybe the faculty did, where when they bought a new piece of furniture, they left the plastic on it. What is up with that? You would walk into your grandma's house and you would see a couch with plastic on it. And you're like, do we sit on it? Do we spray it with Windex? Like, what the heck do we do with this couch? And as a kid, you're like, I know you're old, but do you think this is the last piece of furniture you're going to buy before you die? Listen, if you live with a poverty mindset... You will hoard everything in your life. You will unnecessarily protect everything because you don't believe there's more where that came from. 
You can't be generous. You can't step out in faith. David said, I shall not want. You know what's terrible about the poverty mindset? We can, we can laugh. And, and, you know, we say things like, uh, and I'm all about discipline. I'm all about intentionality and self-leadership, all that. We say things like, the early bird gets the worm. That's great. The problem is, who said there's only one worm? Do you know an abundance mindset, if you don't live with an abundance mindset, it will feed scarcity and competition in your life. Because you will think, if I don't get the worm, somebody else is going to get it. Or if you see someone else with blessing, you think they got your piece of the pie. It is so necessary to believe that God is your provider. David said, look at the confidence in his language. I shall not want. He is going to meet my need. How many of you believe that? The, the quicker you begin to believe that God is your source and everything else in your life is just a resource, everything. So when, when doors open and when favor comes and when promotion comes and when a salary comes and when relationships come, you have to know that it's not coming from them, it's coming through them. They are the resource, but God is your source. David acknowledged that God is the source of everything in my life. He is my shepherd and he is my provider. He believed that. How much more so in the New Testament after seeing Jesus given to us? Romans 8, the father says, he says, I gave my, I graciously gave my son to you. What else, what else would I not give you? I'll graciously give you all things. He already gave us his best. I believe that when we begin to pray as sons and daughters and we have this mindset that God is our prayer, it changes things. It absolutely, when you know you have a connection with the God, Psalm 24 and the next Psalm, it says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's his. And he can give it to whoever he wants. You know, I was, I was reading recently over break this story, uh, World War II, I love history. And it was just, it was so sad to me because there were, um, Auschwitz and Dachau, these concentration camps that were liberated, and many of the children were orphans because their parents had been killed. And what they found was as they began to strengthen the physical bodies of these young children where they could move them from porridge to real food, the children were still not sleeping through the night, and they were baffled. They're thinking, we feed them every day. What are they worried about? But they were so traumatized from their poverty and from the, the, the abuse of their past that they had the mindset, well, they fed us today, but we don't know what's coming tomorrow. And they would stay up all night worrying until someone got this idea and they said, we need to start giving each of the children a small loaf of bread so they can hold it while they sleep so that they know tomorrow there will be something to eat. And all of the children started sleeping through the night. Can I tell you that we don't have to relate to God like an orphan? Come on, how many of you know we're sons and daughters? We have a shepherd. We have a provider. Jesus said, give us today our daily bread. How many of you know God is a provider? He loves to provide. And we do what those orphan children did in Germany. We, we, we will project onto the present or onto the future trauma from our past. Things that we've grown up with, things that have happened, and we say, I, I know God just did it, but I don't know if he's going to do it again. I know God helped me with my, my bill last semester, but I don't know if he could do it again. 
I want to encourage you. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, some of us get so used to scraping and clawing and scrimping that we're uncomfortable sometimes with blessing and increase. He makes you lie down. I want to say in 2022, I'm believing that God is going to cause EBI and C to become comfortable with supernatural levels of blessing. He makes you lie down. You know, sheep are so timid and so anxious that even if they're hungry, they won't eat in a field of green grass until their shepherd is visible. Because they're so consumed with what if this predator and what if this happens and what and I mean it's 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 a mess. He makes you, and because he's your shepherd, how many of you know he can make you do some things? He is the Lord. He is the boss. He makes you lie down like a parent telling you their kids, no, no, you are going to sleep right now. This is good for you. David said, he makes me lie down. He makes me rest in a place of receiving blessing. I love these names of God because what David's trying to remind us is that we have more promises than we do problems. There's a lot of things David could have put in this psalm, but he kept talking about the facets in the name of God, Jehovah-Rohi, Jehovah-Jireh. He goes on to say this, not only does he make me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. You know what's amazing about sheep? They, they, they will die of thirst if there is raging water that's moving too quickly. Personally, I think we got a picture here. We went whitewater rafting this summer in West Virginia. I hate still waters. Like, the more rapids, the better. I found out that there was a stretch of river in West Virginia that had 27 rapids. I'm like, sign us up. We're doing this. My wife and I had done it one other time. This was our boys' first time. We only lost one person. That girl, the, the girl in the front, she got catapulted out on a, a Category 5 <laughs> rapid. We got her back. She was fine. I loved it. It was, it was thrilling. It was exhilarating. You don't know what's going to happen in any of the rapids. But sheep, they have so much wool. They've got so much anxiety that if they are dying of thirst, they will keel over and die if the only option they have is a raging river. Because if they go to drink that and they fall in, they know they're going to drown. So a good shepherd, what they actually will do is they will dam up the water and make the water still. Because sheep will only drink still waters. What is that? That's, that is the shalom of God. That is Jehovah shalom. That is the God of peace. Come on, the way we like to say it is you need some shalom in your dome. <laughs> come on, come on. Listen, look at our culture right now. Look at all the mental health struggles in our nation. Look at, look at what we are wrestling with fear, anxiety. What is that? We need Jehovah shalom. We need some still waters. For some of you, there's going to be pockets of this week where the Holy Spirit's just going to lead you by, by still waters. And it's not going to be in the shout, and it's not going to be in the preach. It's going to be in the whisper of the Holy Spirit. There are things that I have written in journals from the week of prayer that are still unfolding in my life 20-something years later. It's the whispers. It's the still waters. Sometimes you can't drink from turbulent waters. Sometimes you can't drink from a fire hose. Sometimes you have to start turning off social media and turning off the voice of the world, and turning off the world, the flesh, the devil, all these things crying out, and let God, Jehovah Shalom, lead you beside still waters and become your peace. That's what this week's about. So thankful for David reminding us that we have a shepherd, that we have a provider. 
that we have Jehovah Shalom. Here's the next one. Your shepherd is also your healer, Jehovah Rapha. David says, he restores my soul. After life messes me up, he puts me back together. Do you know beyond repair is not in God's vocabulary? I, I don't know you and I don't know where you've come from, but can I tell you that something that's been restored is actually more valuable than the original thing itself? We have a family member that restores old cars. I am shocked at what they can sell these restored cars for. David said, he restores my soul. Now listen, we know this. You, you know the Bible. David lived a complex life. His life was crazy. Like, I don't know what they would rate his life if they turned it into a movie or a Netflix episode. It's like, David, first of all, he's, he's one of eight kids. They did not know what to do with David. Put him out in the field with the sheep. What is he doing singing and dancing, writing music? Like, just, I mean, think about it. Think about the deep-seated rejection when the prophet Samuel comes and Jesse doesn't call for David. Am I not one of your kids? Right? So he has, he has so many wounds. Some of them are self-inflicted. Some are not. He's got trauma. He's got PTSD after taking Goliath's head off and killing Philistines. And you know the story, the dowry, all the foreskins of the enemy. I mean, that's, that's like hand-to-hand combat. There is trauma in that. How about dangerous levels of notoriety and success? In his own lifetime, people were writing songs and singing it about him. That could get to your head. That could be toxic levels of notoriety. So he becomes public enemy number one. And his father-in-law starts hunting him down, trying to kill him. That's not really a good family dynamic. Right? He's got multiple wives. What is that? Drama. He goes back to Ziglag, his town after battle, and finds out there's smoke, everything's burning, his wife and his children are gone, and his men are talking about stoning and killing him and blaming him in their distress. David's life was incredibly complex. He committed adultery. He conspired for murder. David knows what it is to weep on the tabernacle floor for a child that was conceived in sin and then saying, he's not coming back to me but someday I'm going to him. He knows the pain of loss. He knows despair. He he knows what it's like to have some of his staff members fighting with his relatives, his children, and they start setting each other's property on fire just to send a message. Like David's life was complex. So when he says, God restores my soul, he's talking about a lot of things. What's the promise for us? If God could take David's life that is so jacked up, so divided, and he says, you know what, when I come into the presence of God, my shepherd puts my soul back together. It doesn't matter what you've come through. You may have come through, it, it matters, but it doesn't define you. You may have come from a divorced family. You may have come from an abusive situation. You may be dealing with anxiety and depression. You may have fear over debt, your school bill. You, you may have all kinds of things looming. You, you may deal with lack of sleep and night terrors. You may have physical ailments going on in your body. You may have people that have betrayed you. But how many of you know when you come into the presence of a healing Jehovah Rapha, he actually puts your soul back together. 
And he knows how to because he knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows you so intimately. How does David know this stuff about God? He learned it in the presence of God. I want you just to close your eyes for a moment. Just close your eyes. I want you to say those four words with me. I just want you just, just to just whisper it to the Lord. Just say, he restores my soul. Say it a few times. He restores. Come on, say it a few more times. After the craziness of the holidays, after the past two years of craziness in our nation, he restores my soul. After the stress of the last semester, the breakup of that relationship, the confusion of where you're going, in the, he restores the guilt and shame of your own sin that tries to harass you and intimidate you out of the presence of God, he restores my soul. God, thank you that you do that. Thank you for your presence in this room. Thank you for this timeless prayer. Thank you that David was willing to journey where no one had journeyed before so close to you, even though he was so complicated. You have a shepherd. You have a provider. You have a, you have a healer. David goes on and he says this. He said, he leads me in paths of righteousness. You know, what's amazing is we get timely guidance and God gets all the glory. He leads you in paths of righteousness for his namesake. For his namesake. Do you know that because we're the righteousness of Christ, you can have a clear mind when it comes to making decisions? When you, when you remind yourself, you know, there are times where I actually go back and just read Romans 6, 7, and 8 just to clear my head out, just to get very clear on how righteous I really am. Because when you are bombarded by your own failures or the pressures of this world, you don't think clearly. It's interesting that David said, he leads me in paths of righteousness, of right standing with God. When you remind yourself what Jesus did, you think more clearly. Amen. Some of you are at a crossroad in your life, and you need to know that you, you don't just have a provider. You have a guide. You have a God. You have the Jehovah Sidkenu. He says he is the, the righteous one that leads me. So that means that you didn't come to Elam just on your own choosing. Even though you may not know where you're going next, you're not lost. You're here by design. You have a destiny. You have a story that's being written. Come on, somebody. He's leading you in paths of right. Isaiah said, when you stand at the crossroads, you will hear a voice behind you saying, go to the right or go to the left. Walk in this way. He guides you. So that means I'm not alone. That means you're not alone. It means even though you may not know where you are on the map, you're not lost. I love that. He leads us and guides us. I believe some of you, it's not that you later in 2022 have to make big decisions. Some of you are at a crossroad right now. Like, you need to hear from God this week. He's going to guide you. Your shepherd is your God. Then he says this. He continues to brag on his closest relationship. He says, this is the New King James. Yay, though, I don't know why the yay is there. This is not great. Yay, though, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not a matter of if, but when. He says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Your shepherd is your defender. This is Jehovah Nisi. The word literally means this is my banner of victory. They would bring banners into battle. God says, here's how this is going to go down. 
when you're fighting with the enemy, I'm going to go before you carrying a banner that says, victory, this battle is already over with, but you can come with me. How many are thankful that you have a defender? You have a defender. David said, in the presence of my enemies. God fights battles for you. Some, so many of them, I don't even think we're fully aware. He does so much interference. You know, he says, your rod, the, what was the rod? The rod was the instrument a shepherd would carry to fight off other animals. And, and, and the, the staff was to, to help keep them on track. He says, that comforts me because you keep, you keep me on track. And, and sheep, like I said, are so stupid. Sometimes they would eat so much that they would get bloated and they tip over and they've got all four, you know, <laughs> arms and legs sticking up in the air. And they literally would get stuck. And so the shepherd would use his staff to flip them over. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me and they protect me. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death in Israel, when I went to visit, we were traveling, um, we were leaving the Jordan River and we were traveling up to Jerusalem. Incredible. If you get an opportunity to go to Israel, it's amazing. The Bible is already alive, but it just puts it in context. And our guide who is not a believer, just an incredible uh, Jewish guide. He's, he's taking, he says, and now we're heading back to Jerusalem and we are going through the, the valley of the shadow of death. I said, excuse me? He said, Jericho was off to our right. The Jordan River was behind us. We we're heading to Jerusalem. The Judean Valley was over here on the side. He says, this is where David would have been leading his sheep in his lifetime. And this valley was a very dangerous road because you couldn't see intruders that were coming. There were such, there were shadows all over. It was a steep cliff. You literally couldn't see anything. You didn't know what was coming. So David said, when he says, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I'm not going to be so fixated on the circumstances around me or the potential threats that I could be anxiously thinking about. I'm going to focus more on the company that's with me. God, you're with me. You're my defender. You're Jehovah Nisi. You declare to my enemy that we've already won. When I was a youth pastor at EGC, um, one of our young people was wrestling at HFL, and he was a pretty good wrestler, and he was at a tournament. His team had accumulated so many points that before he went into his final match, the tournament was already over. They had won. His coach said to him, hey, listen, Brandon, you still, have to, you still have to wrestle this last match. But even if you get pinned on the mat, our team already won. So go out there, be aggressive, have fun, give it your all, but you just need to know we've already won. Do you realize spiritually the same thing happens? We still have to go through the battles. We still have to go through the fights. And sometimes the enemy pins you, and sometimes you look like you win. But can I tell you the battle has already been won? It's over. You, you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You've got some things that f cause you fear. You can't anticipate. There is no way you can anticipate every possible scenario in front of you. That just causes you more anxiety. You, you can look ahead, but you can't live ahead. But David says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. He says, you are with me. This is what theologians call the isness of God. He is in your past. He is in your present. He is in your future. Jehovah Shammah is the name. He is. He just is. 
He's, David, the word is literally my constant companion. My constant companion. I was sick a couple weeks ago, and I had a constant companion, our German shepherd named Ada. She literally would not leave my side. And so while I was on the couch, and if I woke up in the middle of the night and was coughing or struggling to breathe, she didn't know what to do, but she didn't like it. And so her nurse treatment was to jump onto me, lick my face. Okay, you're conscious. I don't like that you're wheezing, but I'm here. She literally was my shadow. Everywhere I went, there she was. David said, I have a constant companion. He is my shepherd. Jehovah Shammah is with me in every situation I go through. How many of you know that will change the way you go through life? It just, it just, it changes the way you pray. God, I'm not convincing you to come because you're already here. I'm not struggling for you to hear me because I know that you do. He says, for you are with me. Let's keep going. Let's finish this psalm. He's your constant companion. He's Jehovah Nisi. He's your banner of victory. He sets a table for you in the presence of your enemies. What the audacity. How many of you would say, if you were to have a time with Jesus, you'd be like, Jesus, like friends, family, and you, like closed party. That'll happen someday. That's called heaven. It's not time for that yet. He says, now it's me, you, and your enemies. And he has the audacity to say, don't focus on your enemies. Let, let all the tension of your enemies lead to intention of, fo- what, first of all, what is an enemy when you have a God? What is an enemy when you have a provider? What is an enemy when you have a guide? What is an enemy when you have a Jehovah Shammah who says, I literally am with you and will never leave? He says, so I set a table for you even in the presence of your enemies, but don't focus on them. Focus on me. So you don't have peace this week just because everything's resolved back home. You don't have peace this week not because you you don't have work ahead of you with reading and papers and all that stuff. You have peace this week and you can pray because he set the table for you and it doesn't matter who else comes to that table. He is your focus. Amen? You set a table for me. He says this, you anoint my head with oil. This one's tricky because this, this is your shepherd who is a sanctifier. It's, it's Jehovah M. Kadesh. It literally means the God who anoints you, the God who sanctifies you, and the God who sets you apart for a purpose. That's what it means to be sanctified. It means to be set apart. So I want to encourage you. God's going to be speaking to you this week about some big things, I believe it, dreams that, that you've been praying for. And while the whole world is trying to fit in, God wants to anoint you to stand out. He is Jehovah M. He is the one that anoints your head. He anoints you for a purpose. Some of you have spiritual giftings that are dormant or you haven't discovered them yet. I believe the Holy Spirit's going to talk to you this week about your spiritual gifts. It's, you're, it's, it, it just comes through you. It's not from you. You're just the conduit. But he anoints your head with anointing, with strength, with oil, with the Holy Spirit. Some people wake up and they say, I wonder what's going to happen today. Other people get out of bed and say, God, with your help, I want to help make something happen today. What's the difference? Knowing that God anoints your head, he sanctifies you. He sets you apart for a purpose. He's your sanctifier. And then he says, and my cup runs over. You know what's so cool about that? 
Not only does he say, I shall not want, he says, my God is such a God of abundance that when I walk into any room or any conversation or any situation, I actually can be asking the question, how can I add value here because there's more than enough overflowing out of your life. How many of you would like some more of that? Come on. He's your sanctifier. Here's your provider. Here's the last one. Your shepherd is your savior. He says, my cup runs over. Man, it takes, it takes five Greek words in the New Testament just to talk about the kind of power that God anoints you with. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Why does it need to follow you? Because he's given you, the, the armor of God covers all the front of you. You need somebody to have your back. You know, I used to think about this, and I would think goodness and mercy, goodness and mercy, like abstract, like what is goodness and mercy? Goodness and mercy is not disembodied values. Who embodies goodness and mercy? The Holy Spirit, the fruit of relationship with him is goodness. So who's, the Holy Spirit is chasing you down. He's your rear guard. He's following you. He says, God's chasing me all the days of my life. All the days of my life, that covers the whole semester. That covers your future as a missionary, as a pastor, as a, as a banker, as a leader, Single or married, all the days of my life, goodness and mercy are chasing me down. And he says this, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, Jesus told us this in John 10. He said, I am, just so there's no confusion, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd is your savior. We are not just the sheep of his pasture we are the children of his household. And so when we pray this week, you get to pray to your father. And we're going to keep unpacking the nature of God. It's incredible. David, the revelation on the names of God in Psalm 23 is so timeless. I pray you use that just as a prayer, as a, as a type and a category and just an outline for prayer. You know, to make it powerful, it has to become personal. I've been praying Psalm 23 now. Every day, I, either in the morning when I wake up or before I go to bed, it's just become something that I just, I, I'm starting to get into the core of my being. How many of you just want to own a portion of scripture this semester and you're like, you know what, I'm going to take this with me out of the week of prayer and I'll carry it with me for the rest of my life. Because the word of God will grip you and you begin to see some things.